Well, welcome here. Welcome on Zoom. Um, I'm going to stand over the, the heater again and be the, the privileged one in the room. This is our last week in Genesis. We've been looking at Genesis 1 through 11 this fall, uh, really as a way of understanding our, our origin of how we got here. And uh, next week we start Advent and uh, Kat's put together a really good series for us. I'm excited to, to be able to shift in that way and just talk about how God loves us and how that was shown through Jesus coming in uh, his birth. But we're going to look at Genesis 11 here. Uh, if, if you've got a Bible or a device, go ahead and open up. It's just nine verses that we're looking at. It's what is known as the Tower of Babel. And here's, here's how it's written. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the mortals had built. And the Lord said, look, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from Hello. From there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. That is the story. And if you're like me, there's about six points in there where you're like, huh? Really? Huh? And uh, we're going to talk about... Uh, a little bit of that today. We're going to talk about how this kind of summarizes 1 through 11 a little bit. And then at the end, just so you know, again, how the service is going to end at the end, we'll pronounce a blessing. If you want to go, you can go ahead and go and you're released and we'll hopefully see you next week. And then if you're looking at just wanting to practically talk about the sermon for a few minutes, Kat's going to be over on this side with, with you, Zoom, and with anyone in the room who just wants to sort through, okay, what does this mean? And then if you've got some questions on the text and want to hear some like other thoughts that would have just been rabbit trailed, I'll be over here and we can we can talk about the text a little more and uh, you can chase the rabbit with me. OK. OK, so the first like eight times I read this this month, verse six stood out to me and I want to read that to you. Again. And the Lord said, look. They are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible to them. And when I read that, I was like, is. OK, if I don't know the Bible at all and I'm just picking up a book, is God threatened by that? That's what that kind of reads like. Oh, is this, are, are they 
a threat. They're making a name for themselves and they're building a city and they're building a tower. Like, is God threatened? So this is, and, and God's speaking in the, in the we, right? So this could be the royal we, which is spoken even now in some places. People take on the, it's, it's God speaking about God's self, but speaks in the royal we. It could be the Trinity, but that's really, probably that's Christian New Testament reading back into the Old Testament. People at the time probably didn't see that. It could be God speaking to the, the heavenly council. That's what most people probably think this is, is God speaking to the assembly. But whatever it is, what's going on? And what really settled into my spirit zone was I think this is God's response to our propensity to evil. They're really going to do it again. Like at this time, uh, Noah is probably still alive. He's kicking it in his vineyard. And they're already back doing this. This is like the fourth or fifth time in 11 chapters where they've just gone like wildly the opposite direction of God. And God's like, they're that united in, in going against me. They're that united in, in settling in ways I'm not calling them to settle and to committing to greatness that I'm not calling them to. You see, you see where I could see that? And he already promised he's not going to destroy them. So, okay, what are we going to do? And if we know what follows Genesis 11, with, for those who are bad at math, that's Genesis 12. That, that's where like this new plan kind of works out, right? And that's where Abraham appears in, in all of this. But I, I think what this is, is this is not God threatened by humanity. I think it's ironic that the author says mortals at this point. That's really showing a distinction that God is divine and these little little mortals are, are building something that they think is poking into the heavens and God has to go down to even see it because he can't see it from where he is. But I think it speaks to just how prone we are to go in these evil ways. One thing from the context that I do think is really important for us to know that's like the one baby rabbit trail that I want to take is um, this is the Hebrew people's origin of the city of Babylon. That's what this is. This is them saying, here is where Babylon comes in. And why does that matter so much? That matters because Babylon takes them into captivity, right? And Babylon has its own city origin stories that says that they are the only ones who are image bearers. And as the only image bearers, as the people of Babylon, they can go and conquer anybody else who's lesser. And here we're having this story that the, the verse before is the table of nations. It says all the nations come from one family and every single person is an image bearer, including the Babylonians, who at the time that this is written are our captors. You see why that would matter so much? That's important for us to, to know as we, as we go through this. So 
back to this propensity to evil. We're going to point out three ways that this is happening just in this text alone. And the first one is we have a propensity from Genesis 11 to today of playing small and then reaching big. We just have a habit of playing small and then reaching big. So kind of search inside for a second. Do you ever find yourself, maybe it's in the morning when you're making your coffee or breakfast or when you're getting ready to to rest at night. Do you ever find yourself in that moment where you're like, "Ah, I just want my life to matter. I just want this to matter more than it feels like it does. I need to know that me being here is meaningful. You ever have those moments? I have those moments a lot. And sometimes I think that I shouldn't. And then I remember, oh, I have that moment because that's who I am. That's who we are. That's who you are. You want your life to matter because you were born for your life to matter. You were made in the image of the creator. You were made to create and bring order just like God does. You were made to impact. And I don't mean that we have to go take the hill. I'm saying just by our living, we are to matter and to have meaning. That is who we are. There is a greatness instilled within you. You're intended to reflect God's goodness. But these people of Babel, they had repeatedly heard, be fruitful, multiply, spread out throughout the earth. They were given God's uh, authority over all of creation. And they were like, oh, no. Let's all like live really close to each other. Let's move east. And then like, that sounds like too much work. I don't know if I can trust me. And I certainly don't know if I can trust you. And like, let's play small. And then if you've ever played small in your life, have you ever played small? I've like made a career of playing small. (laughs) If you've ever played small, at some point you get so restless that you got to like play big for a second. This is where we sin. We want a life that's meaningful, but then we have played small so long that we try to make our own life meaningful. And we do it by like trying to amplify our own voices by stealing someone else's or reach higher by stepping on someone else. Or in the space of Babylon, they decided, well, we are to represent God's greatness and goodness in this world and instead let's just make a tower that reaches up there and then we don't have to spread out we can just stay close to this tower and I'll keep you safe and you keep me safe and we don't trust like we'll be good right here I can play small and I can play big at the same time if you've ever done that that's our propensity to evil We don't need to go out of here and go prove our greatness by doing something. What we need to do is trust that the one who lives inside of us is great. That's what it is. And so if your afternoon as you go 
serve dinner to your family. That's an act of greatness. Because the Holy Spirit within you is great. Christ within you is the goodness that you have searched for. The goodness that God has always promised us that we forget. And we play small as if God is not within us. And then that's not satisfying. And so we we sin and try to find our way to greatness. Let's sit still a little bit this week. Let's sit and think, what, what does Christ within me really mean? What meaningful gift to this world does God intend to be through me this week as I live fully as Christ within me? So that leads right to the second way that we are, have a propensity to evil, and that's, that's at this tower. Okay, so I think of tower as like, what is it, Rapunzel who lets her hair down? Like, like that kind of like watchtower, right? That, that's not what this is. This is a, a tower like, okay, it's like a, it's called a ziggurat. It's, it's a tower like a pyramid if the pyramid was made on Minecraft or made of Legos. Like it's like this, okay? And it would have seven of these things. So we're, we're, or like it was made with an Etch-a-Sketch. So it would have seven little levels, and it was high. It was high. It was made of bricks. The reason that they're saying the bricks is because that's a different way of building than what it, how people built in Jerusalem and stuff. So they're explaining how that's built. But this pyramid that they would build, this ziggurat, the first six layers would be just filled with sand. They're decorative. So for super high up, you don't go in it. You actually don't go anywhere in it, but the first six layers would just be completely filled. Okay? And then the seventh layer, what do you think would be on the seventh one, the top one? Hmm? The top one is a bedroom. A bedroom. At the very top level, they would build a nice bedroom. And that's where the God would sleep. And at the bottom, they would build a temple. And so the God would sleep in the bedroom and then walk down these big steps and go to the temple and eat. Eat the offerings, the grains, the meats, all of this stuff, right? And then would go back up the steps and go sleep. You don't ever disturb God up in that seventh story bedroom. You just do your work to make sure that God is fed and rested. So what this is, is the very beginning of what we call paganism. This is the very beginning of making God in our image. I get hangry. And so someone needs to give me food. And I'm also angry when I'm sleepy. So I need to be able to sleep. And I'm also angry whenever I want to be. And so they make gods that are angry whenever they want to be and angry when they're hungry and angry when they're tired. And so they do everything that they can to care for this God. Now, they're still calling this God the God that we know, right? But this is a God made in their image. This is a God that has needs like they have, a need to be fed, a need to be clothed, a need to be 
housed. But the problem with that is then that is a God that is able to be manipulated and a God who is able to be bought. Here's why this matters for us. This this theologian that I've read a lot is on our resource page, John Walton. He says, when we think that God needs us, we should say to one another, uh, your paganism is showing. Your paganism is showing. So when, when you think that God likes you more because you gave more money this month, oh, oh, your, your paganism is showing. Like, <laughs> tighten that up. When you're extra proud of yourself, not because you gave God something good, but like he's going to like you more because you brought your talents. Oh, paganism showing. When we think that God needs us for our mind or our people skills, well, that's, that's your paganism show. Now, when you realize that God's goodness comes through as you utilize your mind, your people skills, your money, well, that, that's God's goodness. But as soon as you think you matter more because of that, your paganism show. I think we've been here. I know I have been here. So a question for you. Is it too much to believe that God wants to be great within you, but he doesn't need you? Is that too much to believe? Because a fear that I have is that like, I've had this every day, is that I'm really not that likable. With like, and, and like, don't come after and like hug me on it. Like, it's okay. I'm all right. I've gone to therapy. I'll continue going, you know? But like, it, it's just a real thing. I'm not that likable, so I need to be needed. I need to find a way that people need me because I couldn't imagine that they like me. Right. I've even had to, like, Nikki's been with me forever. And I'm still like, oh, but if I could only like make a meal she really liked or something like that, like that would make me feel better. Because then I'm needed. If I could only find a way that I can insert myself into people's lives so they could need me. Then I have a permanent place in their life. You're never going to get that with God. When he needs like sunshine and vitamin D, he just pulls the sun up. He needs money. He just... Like he doesn't have any, we don't have anything to offer. He likes you. Deal with it. He chose you. Deal with it. But I think that's something we've got to like learn to let in, right? That's work to start to believe. God will use you. Because he likes to. He, He would rather do it together. That's been his plan all along. But as soon as we think he needs to, uh, paganism showing. So this week, when you pray, or you tithe, or you sing, or you attend church, I want you to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Don't beat yourself up on it. That's never helpful. Like, why am I doing this? You open up your Bible tomorrow morning. Why are you doing it? To earn God's love? You got that. You're good. So he likes you, he already likes you. So he needs you, your paganism show. 
To learn that he likes you? That's fair. To be reminded that he loves you? That makes sense. To spend time with the creator? Ah, there you are. But let's ask ourselves. It's okay. If your paganism is showing, that's okay. Just repent, tuck it in. We're good. We go forward. Okay. Third thing. So we got them so far, right? Third one is this one language deal. Our propensity for evil in this one language. Well, many believe that this one language at the beginning of Genesis 11 was that there was one language of trade. And there's some really good reasons why they think this is, I think this is pretty convincing. One language of trade that everyone had a shared language. And then there was different dialects and different languages represented at the people here at Babel. But there was one trade language that everybody spoke the same trade language. So you could go speak your your family language at home and then you'd come together to help build this little Minecraft pyramid. And uh, you would would speak uh, the trade language, right? But I read one scholar... And, and this scholar hit me with what was said. He, he said that uh, he thinks the problem of Genesis 11 was that people just weren't listening to each other. They had a shared language, but they weren't listening. And so out of frustration out of people not being listened to, God just scrambled the language. If you're not listening, I'm going to take that away from you anyway. If you don't realize the gift of knowing, hearing, and seeing one another, then you don't you lose the gift. Now, I don't know that I see that in Genesis 11, but I see that on November 21st. I see that today. If there were two things that I wish for the U.S. church, it's that we would slow down and that we would listen. There's a ton we need to do. A ton. We need to repent. We need to learn the Bible. We say we know it and good night. All, all kinds of stuff. But I wish we would slow down and I wish we would listen. So we're trying to have these little groups after service, right? We're in the new year. We're going to have a couple book studies. If you're interested in in spiritual direction, we have spiritual directors within the church. It's a great space where you're listened to. But we need to practice listening. We need to be the one who listens and then we need to know the comfort and the feeling of actually being listened to. So I had a friend uh, ask me some just open-ended questions uh, a week ago when we were just hanging out. And, And I realized like, oh, good night. This is like a time when I'm really listened to. And I got good listeners around me. But I, I couldn't tell you how healing it was. To just share without having every question answered. To just hear better questions come back. To just be heard, be seen. That's the way the kingdom is to operate. And I don't so much find that in Genesis 11, but I find this in this room. Part of why we're worn out is we're going week after week without being heard. And part of how I process is to say something aloud and have somebody else affirm what I just said. To have somebody say, I hear you, is healing. To say, let me say that back with you to our God, is healing. 
So we need this. And the third way that we're prone to just drift into evil is to not even hear each other. It's to not take the time to listen. So that's the ending of our Genesis 1 through 11. We skipped so much, but hopefully you found a lot in there. This ends with this tower of of paganism and playing small and God scatters everybody. But this 1 through 11 is really the prologue to the Old Testament. Genesis 12, we get Abraham. And if you read the Tower of Babel, then go like this week, go to Acts 2. Because what Acts 2 is, is the redemption of this. We have people coming in with, with one language of trade and religion, but all their different dialects. And God and God's goodness speaks to everyone in their mother tongue, tells the good news of Jesus to them in the language that they heard in their childhood homes. We know that the plan was that Jesus would come as Emmanuel, which we're going to celebrate for this next month. God with us. He didn't come because he needed something from us. He came in response to our need, to our cry, to our ache. And he came and he wore flesh like you and me so we'd know what it felt like to be hangry. He knew what it felt like to be betrayed. He knew what it felt like to be cold or tired. So when we cry out to him, he can say, I I hear you, sister. I hear you, brother. He really knows. So as we close this part of the service, uh, if you don't have a a little to-go pile of communion, Wayne's going to bring one to you. doing this at the end of the sermon this week because Genesis 1 through 11, that's our origin of what God's intent was for us to be image bearers and what we did with it. All these rebellions and God's response to that was not that he hates us, but they'd find ways upon ways to meet us, to redeem us, to make us whole. That's when we gather, we take the bread as he commanded. We break it and we remember that he was broken for us. We take the cup. And remember that his blood was shed for us. We do this in memory of him. And by taking the bread and the cup, part of our response has to be then believing that that was sufficient. Believing that his death and resurrection was enough. You know, whenever that comes up in the in the New Testament, his his death is is in like the the tense of like a a one time event. But his resurrection is in the tense of ongoing. That's still that's still where he is. Where is Jesus today? He is risen. 
And we have to believe that that is enough, which that then means that because Jesus said so, Christ lives within you. The Holy Spirit lives within you. And then you are right back at the beginning. An image bearer. And don't settle for being any less. Thanks for being here, everyone. This this morning, I I needed this. And so it's good to be together. Again, we're going to, the group will be right here to just sit in these questions. A group will be over here to kind of dig into some of the textual stuff. And I've got some, uh, believe it or not, Genesis 11 is what was used by the Jim Crow laws as a way to justify Jim Crow. So if we weren't messing up the early parts of Genesis enough already. uh, Yeah, so we can talk about all that over this way. Let me pray over us and... uh, Release us to go. God, I thank you that you never give up. I can only imagine what it feels like and felt like to have your beloved creation continually doubt that they're enough and doubt that you're enough and show their paganism in all these ways. I'm sorry for the ways I've hurt you. For my friends here, would you show them in new ways that they are your beloved? That you choose them. And then because of that, would you empower them to live this life of meaning, whatever that looks like. You go before us. May we know your peace this week in your name. Amen. Be well, everybody.